0: fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in
2: for a balanced view
0: of the other side of the news.
2: And welcome Welcome to the other side of the news. Tonight, our show is called Crisis Agenda, and co-hosting with me tonight are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, who uh, may or may not be in. She's she's uh, yeah, she's on her way. So, <laughs> and uh, myself, Kinthea. Um We are very honored to have a world-renowned guest tonight. Professor Matthias Desmet, and he is the author of Psychology of Totalitarianism. He's a professor of psychology at Ghent University and has a private practice. He holds a master's degree in statistics. From his knowledge base, he brings a deeper insight into the current mass formation psychosis that would allow the global elites to implement their reset agenda. So welcome to the other side of the news, Matthias.
3: Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much for joining us. I I just want to point out to the audience, what a hero you are, <laughs> because we were going to do a pre-record, but you had a lecture. So you're waking up at 3.45 in the morning to be on the show. So I'm so grateful. Thank you.
4: <laughs> you're welcome.
2: Um, your work is really uh, groundbreaking and Moved me. I have so many questions I want to ask but before we get into the deeper questions I I think it would be good if you just laid out the four basic uh, premises of your Insights that you put forth in your book
3: Are you referring to the four conditions that are necessary to to be uh, format? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes Yeah, I have been um talking about uh, this phenomenon of mass formation for quite some time now for about two years I think Uh, so it it refers to a certain specific uh, uh, group formation uh, which can emerge in a society under very specific conditions so mass formation has been studied uh, since the 19th century and it it, it refers to to a a specific kind of group formation which makes people completely blind for all evidence that goes against what they believe in, or what the group believes in. And it also makes people radically willing to self-sacrifice. That's something very typical for mass formation. Uh, and also, to give another, to, to describe another characteristic, mass formation also um, makes people radically intolerant for dissonant voices. So it, 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 it's, in the end, the masses always stigmatize and ultimately even try to destroy the people who do not go along with them. And they do so as if it is their ethical duty to do so. So that are some very specific characteristics of the phenomenon of mass formation. And indeed, as you just uh, suggested, uh, mass formation happens when very specific conditions are met in a society. And the most crucial of these conditions is that many people have to feel socially disconnected or have to feel disconnected disconnected from their social and the natural environment uh, and if you if you look at a situation just before the corona crisis then you could see that this was really the case like worldwide over 30 percent of the of the world population reported that they did not have one meaningful relationship and that they connected only to other people through the internet that's uh, one illustration of the fact that just before the, 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 the crisis, uh, this most crucial condition, precondition for mass formation was really fulfilled. And then once people are in this disconnected state, they will typically start to experience a lack of meaning-making in life. Um, and also that was the case. Uh, over 60% of the people worldwide Uh, for instance, consider their job to be a so-called bullshit job, a job which, (laughs) uh, yes, it was uh, very eloquently described by David Graeber in his book, Uh, Bullshit Jobs. And uh, worldwide, over 60% of the people claim to be in that condition or to to, to feel as if their their job was without purpose, was purposelessness. And um, once people feel disconnected, once they experience a lack of meaning making, They will typically be confronted with so-called freely floating or free-floating anxiety, frustration, and aggression. That means a kind of frustration, anxiety, and aggression which has no mental representation. So people will feel anxious, frustrated, and aggressive without knowing what they feel anxious, frustrated, and aggressive for. And this is an extremely aversive mental state because if you feel anxious without knowing what you feel anxious for you feel out of control you cannot control your anxiety and under these conditions the following might happen in a society if many many people are in this state then and a narrative is distributed through the mass media indicating an object of anxiety and at the same time providing a strategy to deal with that object of anxiety, then all this freely floating anxiety might connect to the object of anxiety indicated in the narrative and a huge willingness might emerge in society to participate in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, even if the strategy, even if that strategy is rather absurd so that's the first step, that's the four conditions of mass formation and also the first step of the process of mass formation. The first step is just this connection of all the free-floating anxiety in society to an object of anxiety indicated by a narrative. And then the willingness to participate in a strategy to deal with the object of anxiety. No matter what mass formation... Yes. Yes,
2: Forgive me. I just wanted to insert here that I've noticed, at least here in America, you were mentioning about this anxiety and the, mm, I would say technology, because like I've been watching the youth and they're so, you know, you were talking about with the internet and they're so caught up in their mobile phones. I once observed six teenagers sitting at uh, table you know to where you would eat a meal together and every single one of them was on their phone texting yeah. no one was looking at each other no one was talking to each other they were just texting I don't know if they were texting each other like it was just like it was this strange this sensation to watch them be totally absorbed in this and so disconnected with the person they're sitting next yes
3: yeah, exactly Yes, that's that's that, yes, that's that's only one example of how how the, the use of technology disconnects us because that's indeed something striking. Throughout the last three or four centuries, a mass formation so mass formation existed uh, as long as mankind exists. We have had the crusades, the witch hunts, the the French Revolution, and so on. All examples of mass formation. So mass formation exists as long as mankind exists. But throughout the last few hundred, of, few hundred of years, it became increasingly strong, and it lasted longer. And um, the reason is that um, throughout the last few hundreds of years, um, this most crucial condition, namely uh, that a, subst- a substantial part of the population should feel disconnected, uh, was more and more fulfilled. And this had everything to do with uh, the industrialization of the world and the use of technology, yeah, and even even uh, at the present, even now you can see that um, the more industrialization and the more technology use in a country, the more people, the higher the percentage of people that feels lonely. Um, so technology seems to connect us. And wouldn't
2: that also be higher suicide rates?
3: Yes, there will be higher suicide rates. And you know, technology does connect us in a certain way. Uh, at the level of the, the technology, helps us to spread information. That's true. But the deeper connection, like the, the the deeper connection that happens when people physically physically meet, the deeper connection, which is which is like a kind of a, 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 a physical resonance doesn't i'm happen.
2: glad you yeah i'm really glad you say that because there's a thing called heart math and it talks about the energy of the heart field going out 18 feet and how when you're in the presence of someone else your actually your electromagnetic field is interacting with theirs they're overlapping and you know when i see our connections on the internet they're so mental and We're not dropping down into our heart energy when we're with someone and we just slightly put our arm on their shoulder, you know, like just kidding around or just even a slight touch. There's something communicated in the physical touch. I remember this one experiment where they had a group of people in a room and they had some money sitting there and the someone came in and the receptionist or whatever. Left them with a room and if she didn't shake their hand invariably everybody was taking the money But if she shook their hand, they didn't touch the money So there's something about this physical connection this and I think it's a heart energy
3: Mm, That's possible. I've never looked at it uh, from this angle But in in the first five chapters of my of my book, uh, the psychology of totalitarianism, that's what I describe how almost any mechanical device every technological tool they all seem to make our life our lives more comfortable and to a certain extent they 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 actually do but in a in a hidden way they also they also take something away of us and this 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 something uh, always relates always has to do with uh, the deep physical connection between people it's that connection that is destroyed when people use technology uh, in an excessive way and when people uh and and, and when when the level of mechanization and industri- industrialization of the world um becomes very high so that's uh something we, we often fail to to, to recognize that uh, technology and and industrialization and, and the mechanization of the world at the psychological level comes with a price and that's exactly, that's exactly the reason why, throughout the last few hundred years, uh, more and more people started to feel lonely and disconnected. And in the end, also why more and more people became vulnerable for mass formation, why the masses became stronger and stronger. And in the end, why such a thing like a totalitarian state emerged in society?
0: That's fascinating. Uh, good morning, Matthias. Uh This is Timothy, by the way. Um, Kintia, you make an interesting point about the heart energy. There's an awful lot of neurons down there in in the heart as well. Um, Many people do say it's like a second brain or perhaps even a first brain. I understand uh, other experiments show that the brain is the second major organ to learn the body is running away from a a, a vicious tiger, for example. The heart is the first one. Is that Mm. correct, (laughs) Yes.
3: (laughs) Yes. Well... I remember that there were there were certain theories around uh, that were articulated, I think, at the end of the 19th century, which which concluded already that uh, our heart reacts first. I remember that. I cannot. I don't know anymore what the authors were, but I remember that there was such research already already very early on, and in, uh, in, um, in 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 uh, or in the beginning of the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. So. I do believe what you say, yes,
0: yes. Also, one one
2: of the points... Go ahead, Timothy. I was just
0: going to say, to segue a little bit from that, I was also just going to say that as well as the availability of the technology, I think if we take a a sort of high altitude view, if you look at somebody of my grandfather's generation, for example, he was born in 1908, so... You know, life was a very, very different place, uh, a completely different planet in that fact. Because if you, if you imagine if you sort of wake up in the day and the amount of technology you have available, you know, do you have a car, do you have an airplane, do you have radio, do you have uh, internet and so on and so on. The, it's almost like the environment or, or the matrix where he was able to put his perception um, was very different to what I have available today or, or my sons have today. So I think it's an awful lot to do with the balance of where we house or we choose to house our consciousness. And while there are sort of amazing advantages, like the fact that we're speaking now out of three different countries uh, simultaneously, um, that's obviously a great example of of using technology. Of course, the other side is that as you say it it is a mental connection um, Mm. rather than a heart connection. So I think, there's an element of consciousness and some of that is our choice and some of it i think comes from programming i'm very interested to hear the other
4: uh, <laughs> that's
0: interesting i'm very interesting to hear the <laughs> other conditions um which you say that bring on the uh, uh the effect of masturbation psychosis yes well you know
3: i just want to say one thing more about this this uh Kind of connection that exists um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a when we when we digitalize our interactions. I describe this in a very concrete way. You know, uh, at with my research group at Ghent University I have been doing very specific research for 15 years now. Research in which we investigate um, real conversations that mean conversations when people are in each other's physical presence. And this research actually showed me how incredibly subtle and 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 sublime real conversations are. You know, um, when people talk with each other in the real world, let's say in the real world, then they react to each other in less than 0.2 seconds. In less than 0.2 seconds. That means, for instance, that if uh, one person stops speaking, then the other will typically start speaking in less than 0.2 seconds. That's more than five times faster than the reaction time in traffic for instance and this extremely fast and quick reaction time even happens when one person so for instance if one person stops speaking the other one will start speaking in less than 0.2 seconds and the other person will react in this incredibly fast way even when the first person stops speaking in the middle of a sentence which shows that this reaction time, this extremely fast reaction time, doesn't happen because one is able to anticipate, the one person is able to anticipate, anticipate in a rational way when the first one will stop speaking. No, that's not the reason. The reason why we can react so quickly in a real conversation is just because we are physically connected when we talk in each other's physical presence. It's because our bodies constantly resonate. You can see it as a neurological level, but you can see it also at the level of the muscle tension. When one when, when someone listens to someone else who is speaking, we constantly imitate the facial the tension and the facial muscle muscles, for instance. We constantly do so. And in doing so, we actually satisfy a kind of deep desire in ourselves to create a a symbiosis with other people. And that's exactly, it's this symbiosis, this physical resonance that is disturbed in a digital conversation where there is always a certain delay uh, in the transmission of the signal, for for instance, when we see only a part of the body of the other and so on and so on. And that's why, and on the one hand, as you said, uh, digital conversations are a wonderful tool because they help us to spread information incredibly fast around the world but at the same time they destroy this this more physical resonance and that's why when we when we uh, have conversations online conversations for hours in a row in the end we feel exhausted exactly because as petri Glieri said uh, uh, articulated it he said what makes Digital conversations so exhausting is that they put us constantly in the presence of the absence of the other. When, when, when talking uh, uh, through the Internet, our bodies constantly try to connect to each other, and they constantly fail to do so. And in the end, we get exhausted. And um, that, that's, that's very often the case. Um, technology, mechan- the mechanization of the world, the industrialization of the world, seems to reproduce a natural phenomenon, for instance, a conversation, in in an identical way. But in the end, the artificial phenomenon is always slightly different from the natural phenomenon. And this difference seems to be a minor detail, but it actually represents the essence, the, the, the core of the natural phenomenon. And that's why Excessive industrialization, excessive technology use, in a certain way, destroys the core of our human experience and the core of our human existence. And it—I'm talking about excessive technology use and excessive industrialization. At a moderate level, it probably is a good thing to uh, to have technology at our disposal, and the mechanization of the world might be a good thing. But when done, when, when in, an, in an excessive uh, uh, when, 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 it, when it happens in an excessive way it really takes something away of us and it leads indeed uh, to these four conditions of mass formation which on the one hand uh, the first condition is, is this uh, disconnection from the natural and social environment the second one is this lack of meaning making that typically uh, emerges in a society uh, the third one is this free-floating uh, anxiety, and the fourth one is free-floating frustration and aggression. When these four conditions are met, uh, we are ready for mass
0: formation in the society. That's that's an incredible. Sorry, Kinti, I can hear you, but to ask a question, you go ahead. No, darling, you go. <laughs> okay. I can hold it. No, I... well, I'll you and raise you let's see how it goes but, uh, <laughs> i also have a comment too so.
2: oh Neda. oh anetta has joined us
0: okay very quickly then i was just going to ask so we can see that there is this disconnection this disconnection from society so when the let's say body stroke consciousness i'm i'm planting the word consciousness in there when this lack of connection arises this sort of failure to connect and this exhaustion is is this the start of um like an intimidation or indoctrination uh where the body the person individual the consciousness is therefore at a point where they're ready to start taking on a new program and a new program by that i mean through television media uh politics whatever it is yes exactly because when people feel disconnected,
3: people are intrinsically human uh, social beings. And uh, a state of, of profound disconnectedness is extremely aversive, and it typically goes hand in hand with this, with this uh, free-floating anxiety, this anxiety which uh, cannot be coupled to a, to a mental representation. And that's exactly the moment when people become sensitive to uh, narratives that indicate this object of anxiety. And when such narratives, and this was always the first step of every mass formation, like during the Crusades, the object of anxiety was um, uh, the Muslims who, um, who, um, who, uh, who were in Jerusalem or, or, or in the witch hunts. The object of anxiety was uh, the witches. And in, in Nazi Germany, the object of anxiety was the Jews. And in the Soviet Union, the, the aristocracy and so on. Every mass formation starts in this way. And it starts with the dissemination or the distribution of a, a, a narrative that indicates an object of anxiety through the mass media, at least in modern times, through the mass media. And when this, 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 this narrative is uh, redistributed and the re, uh, is recirculated time and time again through the mass media, um, mass formation can continue to exist. Uh, and that's, that's the difference between modern times mass formation and the mass formation of the old times and then you uh, uh, Now the mass formation can be fed time and time again through the mass media and then in this way it Can um, it can last extremely long and lead to the emergence of this new kind of state? Which is a totalitarian state
0: sure so, but but yes, I was just gonna ask do you think this is always a natural? um reaction i mean do you think it is it is um, an an external force or external forces trying to create this this environment or do you think it is a natural thing which every individual goes through at some point in their life
3: no it it can happen in in two ways um sometimes a mass formation emerges spontaneously Uh, that 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 that, that's what happens to a large extent in, uh, in nazi germany in nazi germany there was first a large-scale mass formation uh, in, in which people started to believe in all kinds of race theories, social Darwinist race theories, in which they started to believe that uh, um, the German race was uh, was, uh, was superior and should should take the lead in society. So the mass formation emerged in a more or less spontaneous way. Um, and then, slowly, from the masses, uh, an elite emerged, uh, like some, some very talented, rhetorically talented people took the lead over the masses and uh, this elite, together with the masses, succeeded in seizing control over society. Uh, That was how the totalitarian state emerged in uh, in Nazi Germany. But in in the Soviet Union, for instance, it it, it happened just the other way around. In the Soviet Union, the first was a communist elite, a set of intellectuals who fanatically believed in uh, historical materialism of Marx, and who succeeded uh, through indoctrination and propaganda, first in a limited way, later on on, on a large scale, and who succeeded through indoctrination propaganda in provoking artificially a mass formation in society. So it can happen in two ways. Sometimes the, the phenomenon can emerge in a spontaneous way. Sometimes it can be provoked in an artificial way. But in both cases, the ultimate Uh, The effect is the same. Uh, Hannah Arendt, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, uh, Hannah Arendt said, uh, in the end, it's always a diabolic pact between the masses and their leaders uh, that lead to the emergence of a totalitarian state. A totalitarian state, which is a a, a state system that was entirely new in the 20th, 20th century, which did not exist before the 20th century. Just because before the 20th century, the mass formation was not strong enough to seize control to take control over society
2: mm-hmm. Annette I have questions but you go
5: Oh I have a, a much bigger one than than the time we had before break so maybe <laughs> you oh, go Oh okay yeah Oh, we're at and we're at break.
2: Yeah. Okay, well yeah. no. <laughs> so I just but, wanna thanks for the offer, lay, but yeah. <laughs> I just want to lay a little seed here. So, what what you've been referring to as the mass formation here, in consciousness of a the totalitarian totalitarian state. Um, what I've observed is that it leads. The individual collectively to do things that are really cruel to each other, which normally one would not expect. And so I'm curious how that uh, how that happens. But I can see we're at that break time. So Matthias, I really appreciate uh, you holding that thought. Our guest tonight is Matthias Desmet. And the show is called Crisis Agenda. This is the other side of the news. Co-hosting are Timothy Saunders, Anneta Driscoll, and myself, Gintia. And uh, we're having a very lively discussion about consciousness. And uh, Matthias is laying out the four basic conditions for mass formation. Uh, Psychosis? (laughs) All right. Break time. Peace.
5: This is Annetta from the other side of the news. This is Anetta from the other side of the news. I'd like to let you know that I'm going to be on a month-long tour across the United States. I'm touring with the Truth Tour, and it's going to be an inspiring event with really awesome speakers. On the Truth Tour, we have well-known, high-powered, and emerging insightful patriots speaking on the kind of topics that we cover on the other side of the news. I thought this would be of interest to our listeners. What we are doing is bringing together people on a local level to create change and take action. As I'm sure you're aware, one of the things that the Cabal has done throughout this period of time we've been living through is to separate us. And one of the primary goals of the Truth Tour is to bring like-minded people together and to share knowledge with each other. With that knowledge, people can come together in friendship, and build the strong communities that they want to live in. So, this is how we defeat the cabal. We're really excited to be bringing you engaging speakers, sharing their knowledge with you on topics ranging from scientists and health experts, to data geeks, constitutional researchers, people speaking about how to regain your sovereignty, there's speakers that will be speaking about our history, how to grow your own food, to taking care of yourself in a medical emergency and controversial topics that you need your 10 hat for. That's my favorite, actually. The Truth Tour covers 22 cities in 31 days, and we cover around 8,000 miles. Instead of listing all the 22 cities here, you can go to truthtour.net and see the map, and that will show you and list all the cities for you. In the Truth Tour, we start out in Thousand Oaks, California, and then south to San Diego. After that, we head east going across the country till we get all the way over to Florida. Then we're heading up the central east coast, and then eventually we head back west through the upper Midwest region of the country. So to see our route and see if you're near one of our cities, you can check truthtour.net. We have a variety of options tickets from VIP level down to a dollar so everyone can afford to come. For those of you that are in a geographic situation that does not allow you to attend, we also have an online streaming event that includes all 22 cities and a portal to watch them at your convenience. And if you're really excited and you want to support the tour, we have a donation button. This way you can support the tour and pay it forward for a person who may not be able to pay the full ticket price. To find more information, you can look us up on truthtour.net, that's truthtour.net. And all the, the maps and the cities are listed and the tickets, all of that good stuff is right there on that particular page. This is a really exciting tour for me because I am looking forward to meeting each of you live and in person. This is a great opportunity to meet other truth seekers, make new friends and not feel so isolated. Our primary goal with the Truth Tour is to bring people together to educate, motivate, and inspire you to take action. I will be traveling with the Tour to all 22 cities along with many of the other speakers. Each city has a different set of speakers. I am so excited to meet each and every one of you live and in person out on the road and give every one of you a big old hug. Welcome back to our show this evening, which is called Crisis Agenda. And our special guest this evening is Matthias Desmond. And he, we've had this really great conversation uh, so far. It's gone all over the place, which is our this is normal for us. But <laughs> I wanted to come back a little bit because I, I just wanted to, to jump in a little bit about the heart. Uh, I don't know, uh, Matthias, if it was a study that you were referring to, but in 1930 there was a study uh, out of Harvard, uh, Dr. Walter Canyon, that follow. He he studied the electrical fields and of the heart, and I and I just wanted to let our listeners know that the amplitude um, is 60 times greater in the heart than in the brain, and the electromagnetic field is 5,000 times greater than in the brain. It also has 40,000 neurons and the um, the hormone, hormones are actually produced out of the heart. So it's, it's really fascinating. And I think this is so important when we're talking about actually physically having conversations or at least being engaged without having, a, I don't know, something in between, right? And and the last thing I wanted to say before we get into the rest of it is is that um, the electromagnetic fields of two individuals, like, in, in, and that doesn't have to be human to human; it can be human to pet. Uh, if they're touching or within a few feet of each other, can interact so much that the electrical activity of the heart in one can be measured in brain waves of the other. So it's really, um, I think this was used against humanity and pretty, pretty effectively. <laughs> so, anyway, do you think that that's true? That that was their intention, and they knew that, and that's—I mean, this is an old study, right?
3: Uh, yeah, I, 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 I didn't, I don't know that study. Uh, I don't know, but I'm, 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 I'm interested in it. So it has been published in, in 1930 already. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wonderful. I didn't know that one. No, but I will, I will look it up. I will look it up as fast as I can. <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah. Well, I think it's just really interesting because it's like it, it clearly um, from a uh, electromechanical point of view, it's the heart is so powerful and so fast compared to the brain. And, uh, it also, I mean, it's, it's so strong that it actually influences the brain brainwaves in, in people around it or pets or, you know, it can be, it doesn't have to be people. So that That's pretty interesting. And it, and it's, so I look at this and I'm like, okay, so there's a six foot rule for a lot of reasons, you know, like, which is just, of course, completely unscientific, but maybe there is science as in, we want to separate people and break the connection, you know, uh make people feel more and more isolated i mean Mm. do you think that that is i mean they clearly are following an agenda so do you Mm -hmm. feel that that was that well thought out or they stumble on it or what
1: do you think i don't
3: know so uh it's it's possible like if, if i just look at the historical examples of totalitarianism and totalitarian states then we see that sometimes um so that's a tricky thing actually uh mass formation and totalitarianism can emerge typically if people feel lonely already if people don't feel lonely and disconnected you cannot provoke or or a mass formation won't emerge either spontaneously or uh artificially or intentionally created doesn't matter but people need to be disconnected in order to be able to to be vulnerable for for uh, for mass formation so but um, once a mass formation happens and once a totalitarian state emerged in a society, then the first thing that totalitarian leaders do is typically to isolate the population. That's usually the first thing they do. Sometimes they do this intentionally. Stalin, for instance, in the Soviet Union, intentionally tried to um, isolate people because he just knew that when people were isolated, they would never uh, be able to organize themselves and protest and, and, uh, and uh, um, against uh, the totalitarian state. But in Nazi Germany, Hitler didn't try to isolate people intentionally. But still, it happened spontaneously in the totalitarian state. So it can happen. At, uh, The isolation of people can be pursued in an intentional way but even if it is not people will start to become more isolated just because of the phenomenon of mass formation and that's why it is so important to really understand the mechanism of mass formation um because then you 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 see what actually happens throughout the mass formation and even much more important what you can do to um uh, against it
5: um uh, well I, I would like to get to the do but i i have a question and it, it's been a question that we we've batted around amongst ourselves for the last couple years um it's often brought up in in conversations that we have uh, as we plan out shows or just have you know discussions and that is what is it that makes some people so resistant to the mass formation and and we know that it's about, or I, I, I don't know. I've I've heard that it's about 30%, but what Mm. makes those people so resistant to falling victim to this? And then there's the 30% that absolutely just sign up for it no matter what. And then there's the 40% that can be swayed. But what do you, what do you see as a difference? Because obviously the same, um, factors are being applied. Like, in other words, there is a huge amount of isolation, um, they, you know we we were separated physically with all their b s you know regulations and all that. Um, what do you think that it is that that makes some people just not buy it?
3: Nobody knows it uh, that question has been asked time and time again throughout history every time a large scale mass formation emerged, there was a group who didn't go along with it and who was not sensitive to it but why and 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 what Uh, characterizes these people who who, uh, for one reason or another are resilient and and, uh, do not go along with the masses nobody actually really knows it is as if it's maybe one of the most fundamental choices maybe the most fundamental choice a human being can make is to take the easy way and go, go along with the group to buy into the group narratives or to take the more difficult way and to stay true, to stick to a certain um, or to something people uh, believe in themselves and to to, to something that people think is sincere. So that that, that choice between the easy way, which is always the way of the majority and the group, uh, or the more difficult way, uh, might be the most fundamental choice a human being can make. But nobody actually knows um, why some people always choose um, or, 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 or do not fall prey to uh, this group thing. And uh, nobody actually knows. It has been described time and time again. People have been wondering, like people who, are, who have been who study who were studying mass formation. Every time, uh, have tried to describe or discover why some people are, are not vulnerable to it. But in the end, even up until now, nobody really seems to know.
2: I have a a thought on that and of course it's my own opinion but I I really see that you know we tend to think of uh <clears throat> people in terms of this finite life but there's there's a quality of the soul and soul maturity and I think as an individual eh, develops a strong sense of connection to their own spiritual core, however you want to name that, that's when they take the strength to stand their own ground. But if they haven't developed that spiritual core, then they're like a young soul, if you will. And they just, you know, the the child does what the parent tells them. And in this case, the parent is a bad parent, you know, if they're following that. But I, I really do believe it has something to do with soul maturity, with that connection to our deep inner core being.
3: No, maybe yes, yes, that's uh, that's possible, yes.
2: And um, you were, you, you know, I know you and annette uh, I have four thoughts that want to jump out all at the same time. (laughs) This happens to me all the time, fast-track thinker. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, first of all, I just want to tag and say I thought it was really timely that the promo for the Truth Tour came up talking about meeting in person and developing connections to take action when that was what you had just been speaking about, the importance of meeting in person. So that I just want to make that as a little footnote, and then coming to what Annette was speaking about, the the thirty percent that just you know will go along with, they're hypnotized, they'll just go along with it. And then there's you've mentioned forty percent that will doesn't want to disagree with the group, and then there's the remainder of us who are going to stick to how we see it, and that's it, you know. So my question is how do we those who are willing to speak out how do we speak out in such a way that the others can hear us
3: yes that's <laughs> you know
2: that that we're not confrontational and then they just close their ears how can they hear us what yes. what do we do so they can hear us
3: yes first and in, in order to understand what we can do we have to describe the mechanism of mass formation a little bit more so i i I just uh, described that the first step of the process of mass formation is always uh, the dissemination of a narrative that indicates an object of anxiety and and the strategy to deal with that object of anxiety. And then all this free-floating anxiety in society connects to the object of anxiety and people are willing to participate in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety. So that's the first step. But then a second step happens, which is even much more important. And the second step is that once people start to participate in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, they start to feel connected again in a heroic battle, a collective heroic battle with the object of anxiety. So, mass formation seems to reestablish a social bond. It seems to reconnect people to each other. But the tricky thing is that and that's actually the real reason why people buy into the narrative people buy into the narrative not because they think the narrative is correct or scientifically accurate or right or something no people buy into the narrative because it leads to this new solidarity this new social bond and once you understand that you also understand that no matter uh, how absurd the narrative becomes, people will continue to buy into it just because the reason why they did was not because it was right or accurate, it was just because it reconnects them for the same reason as football supporters and all sing the same song, not because they think it's the uh, most beautiful or Uh, song in the world no they sing it because it connects them to each other that's exactly the reason people go people buy into the narrative because it connects them to each other so that's one thing but there is a, a, a big big problem with this new social bond that emerges masses a mass or a crowd is not a group that emerges because individuals connect to each other a mass is a group that emerges because all individuals separately connect to the collective. Meaning that this new solidarity, this new citizenship that emerges in a mass formation, that emerges in a mass, is not a solidarity between individuals. It's a solidarity between every individual separately and the collective. And you could even say that the longer the mass formation continues more the, the social bond between the individuals deteriorates. It is as if all the mental psychological energy, all the love, you could say, is sucked away from the bonds between the individuals and is all invested in the bond between the individual and the collective. That means that the longer the mass formation exists, the less loyal Individuals become towards each other and the more loyal they become towards the system, towards the collective, towards the state and that's exactly the explanation why people in a totalitarian state, a totalitarian state which is always based on mass formation, that's the difference between a totalitarian state and a classical dictatorship and a totalitarian state is based on mass formation and a totalitarian and, a, and the classical dictatorship is not. So, but that's the reason why in a totalitarian state, in the end, the totalitarian state, in the end, always ends up paranoid atmosphere. Just because people don't trust each other anymore. Because there is no psychological energy anymore in the bonds between the individuals. And that's also the reason why during the corona crisis, people were all talking about solidarity. And at the same time, they accepted that when their neighbor got an accident on the street they were no longer to help uh they they were no longer allowed to help them him anymore unless by accident they had surgical gloves and a surgical mask at their disposal That what that that was <laughs> that that was what the websites of the belgium the the, the uh the holland and the european government mentioned and In the same vein, people were all talking about solidarity with the elderly. The entire crisis was because of the solidarity with the elderly. And at the same time, everyone accepted without objecting or most people accepted that they were not allowed to visit their parents when they were dying. So that shows the absurd solidarity in a mass, which is never a solidarity between individuals, but it's always a solidarity between individuals and the collective. And in the end, end, people typically arrive in a state where they are willing to report their family members, even their children, to the state if they think their children are not loyal enough to the state. I have been talking with this woman of Iran uh, uh, two months ago who lived in Iran during the revolution. The revolution which was uh, a huge phenomenon of mass formation and which led to the emergence of a totalitarian system in Iran um, um, in the years after the revolution. And this woman told me that she had seen with her own eyes, she had witnessed how a mother reported her son to the state and how she hung a rope, the rope around the neck of her son just before he was hung and how she claimed to be a heroine for doing so. That's Typically the effect of mass formation mass formation weakens the social bonds between the individuals even more and invests all the love and all the psychological energy in the bond between the individual and the collective and that's that's the reason why we see something very specific now we have a mass formation starts when people feel lonely and it makes people even more lonely that's a tricky thing and that's what happened in the corona crisis it started when people when many people felt lonely and socially disconnected but now now the corona now the corona narrative is disappearing in the background a little bit what we see now people are allowed to see each other again students are allowed to come to university again uh people are allowed to to go to their company again and to work again uh, together with their colleagues. But they don't do so anymore. Only 5% of the students shows up at university. And people in companies are preferring to work from home. They are preferring to, to work online exactly because throughout the mass formation, the social bond disconnected, got poorer, and doesn't contain enough energy anymore to overcome the resistance that we always need to overcome when we meet someone. So social bonds are extremely important, and people are very satisfying for people, but people also have to overcome a certain resistance to go to the other, and that's what doesn't happen anymore when, um, uh, after a mass formation. Um, so that, that's a mass formation. First, seems to reconnect people, but in the end,
0: it destroys every connection between people. And um, Matthias, yes. may, may I just pass in a second, because we're covering a lot of ground here very quickly. I was going to ask you, uh, do you think that some of this is sort of an intrinsic part of uh, humanity is actually to be open to a form of mass formation? Is there a, a good form of mass? For example, I mean, if you look at a cat and the way that it looks after a kitten the way the cat the kitten learns how to behave like a cat how, and the, the child learns to behave like a, a, a parent and so on do you, do you think that is perhaps what brought society together if we, if we look at somewhere like Göbekli Kitepi according to theologists and historians it's sort of where people came together to farm the land to organize themselves into a society where there are hunters, hunter gatherers, uh, those that stay behind and cook and so on and so on. And there you have like sort of the beginnings of humanity, sorry, the humanity, excuse me, of, of um, civilization. So is, is that something part of human nature that's been hacked by some force, some individuals that are aware of how to yeah, separate people, uh, disconnect them, But at the same time give them the the illusion of being connected Mm. well you have to distinguish
3: between uh, mass formation on the one hand and normal fruitful group formation on the other hand Uh, a a group uh, a productive and a, a humanizing group is created when individuals when it is formed because individuals connect to each other when people so to so to speak love each other a little bit, then they will start to form groups to connect and to form groups and that 's a good thing that 's something necessary in in, in, in in human living together there always has to be uh, has to be a balance between individualism and collectivism. if there is a good balance um, uh, society will be humane and and it will be nice to live in but if there is a disbalance, if people are either too individualistic or too collectivistic, then uh, there will be no humanity left. And that's exactly what happens in a mass. A mass formation is an extreme type of collectivism, which, in the end, is always destructive and is always self-destructive. And there are no good masses, I think. There are good groups, but there are no good masses. because Just because, in the end, uh, the masses always become destructive and self-destructive the 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 mass mass formation and totalitarianism and the end always becomes a monster that devours its own children that's how hannah Arendt uh, articulated it so i don't believe uh there is a good kind of there's something like a good mass formation uh there is a there is good group formation but there is no group mass formation no i don't believe so
0: okay well that's that's fascinating I'm I'm a little bit curious why you believe, for example, the mass formation that occurred in the Second World War is in your opinion spontaneous when when you're talking about some sort of uh Soviet history when you're saying that was uh, deliberate. Oh. I would have thought that the okay, I, I'm not a the world specialist on this, but I would have thought that one of the things that has been seen is how uh media was, was really uh created and exploited to promote the sort of the uh the nazi movement i mean we had the olympic games which was one of the first sort of international uh, broadcast um yeah event uh which which even in science fiction movies has sort of been said to be that was one of the first uh, uh signals of the earth sent out to space was uh hitler opening the uh the Nuremberg games for example I mean, it wasn't, it's not the difference. Is it the use of media?
3: Ah, uh, yes. Of course, I was talking about the very first stage of the mass formation, uh, which, which, of course, like like first, like after 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 a, f- a few years, there was a massive and intentional indoctrination and propaganda in uh, in Nazi Germany. Um, uh, so, but the the very first stage of the of the mass formation happened spontaneously in Nazi Germany, and then slowly an elite uh, uh, took advantage of the of this emerging mass formation and started to manipulate the masses through an impressive uh, propaganda machinery uh, and 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 made sure that it it, that the mass formation lasted in an artificial way um, uh, longer and longer and longer so i was talking about the very first stage of the mass formation which was different in nazi germany compared to the soviet union in the soviet union the first was the indoctrination. The, the, the elite was first, and, and they and they artificially provoked the mass formation in the first, even in the first, in the first stage of the process. While in Nazi Germany, the very first, the beginning of the mass formation was happened spontaneously, and the elite emerged from the mass. But then, of course, the elite took advantage and used indoctrination, propaganda, terror, to just. Uh, make sure that the mass formation continued and that they could use it at their
0: own advantage. So science, I, I, I think this is a perfect place to, to pause because we're just coming up to the top of the hour break. But uh, if we can start pointing fingers on who the elite is after the break, it may be quite an interesting segue. You're listening to the Other Side of the News, and this evening's edition is the 102nd show uh, in our series, and the title is Crisis Agenda. We're delighted to have Matthias Desmet. And we'll be back after the break, Keith.
6: filter episode by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel, or as an environment to your endeavors. $0.08 an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
1: They are so few, they're in the thousands. We are billions. We are billions of people. So they need technology, very advanced technology to be able to control us. And that is where AI, 5G comes in. And then through the vaccine also get rid of two thirds of us. So it's like a very, very, very dark agenda is their to play out. But I tell you, the way I see the future, oh my God, fantastic. Or like my mom said, fan-bloody-tastic. Hi, this is Ola Damagold from rightonconspiracy.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just wanna say, the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows, so enjoy.
2: And welcome back to the other side of the news. <laughs> well, Timothy, I beat you to it.
0: So, um. What did you I beat me to? Just a second. What yeah, did you, you were going
2: to open. T- <laughs> <laughs> no. You were going to bring I, us back.
0: No, you uh <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: So, go ahead. Well,
2: that's, it's all good. It's all good. So, yes, uh you were laying down the foundations. And at some point, I... At the right time here, I'm going to bring in a two-minute clip which illustrates what you're talking about, Matthias. So, please continue in uh, illuminating us on these four basic conditions and how they play in to what's our next step mm. here.
3: Yes,
7: well, uh, I, I I
3: explained a part of the mechanism of uh, of mass formation already, so. Um, 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 What's also important to to realize is that mass formation actually is identical to hypnosis. Mass formation is uh, one example, one kind of hypnosis. What happens in a a classical hypnosis is that someone, a hypnotist, uh, is is very skilled. It's often a a natural talent of of a hypnotist to withdraw someone's attention from, from uh, the environment or from reality and to focus it on one very small aspect of reality. And once the attention is focused on this one small aspect of reality, for instance, uh, an object that is swinging on a, on a kind of a pendulum or on, on, on a chain or, or just the hypnotizing voice of someone, once the attention of, 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 of an individual... Is focused on one small aspect of reality. It is, it is as if the rest of reality doesn't exist anymore, and this, this effect is extremely, incredibly strong. For instance, a simple hypnotic procedure is sufficient to to make someone completely insensitive to pain, to make someone not aware anymore, that, that, to make that someone is not aware anymore of his own physical pain. It's something that I, I've seen myself uh there is a university hospital here in Belgium where uh, a certain professor is using a hypnosis to make to, to to uh uh to make someone insensitive to pain to make patients insensitive to pain um during a surgical operation and like the, the, the this 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 professor typically hypnotizes his patient in a very simple way he just uh, starts to talk with them when they are in the operation room uh saying something like well we will we will go to a place where you like it very much together do uh, you feel the 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 sun on your skin? you feel the sand under your feet and then he he gives a sign to the surgeon and upon and then the surgeon can start to cut through the skin through the flesh, even straight through the breastbone, without the patient no noticing it yeah. um, uh, mm-hmm. this, this shows how incredibly strong. the mechanism of hypnosis or the mechanism of the focusing of attention is and that's exactly what happens in a mass formation for instance during the corona crisis all the attention people's attention which was first freely floating there was this free floating anxiety frustration aggression then this was all focused on this one aspect of reality the virus and the the measures for the virus the victims of the virus and consequently we could see that people then didn't seem to notice what happened Uh, it it, they 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 didn't see anymore that that they were losing their freedom that they were losing their health their wealth the future of their children they were not seeing anymore that the corona measures themselves claimed a lot of victims um and so that's typically it's a process of 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 mass formation is an example of hypnosis and as soon as you you realize that you also start to understand what you can do against it because mass formation and totalitarianism are a kind of hypnosis and hypnosis is always provoked by the voice the voice of a leader that's what hypnosis is it's someone who is in the grip of the voice of someone else and that's why totalitarian leaders use so much indoctrination and propaganda because they realize that their grip on the population happens in a psychological way through the voice A, a classical dictator for instance usually does not rely very much on indoctrination propaganda. He relies on terror. But the totalitarian leader relies in the first place on indoctrination and propaganda and only in the third place on terror. And so as soon as you understand that, you also understand that the most important thing we can do and we should do is to continue to speak out. Because it's a dissonant voice that disturbs the hypnosis the dissonant voice that disturbs the mass formation. And as Gustave Le Bon mentioned already in the 19th century, when people who are not in the grip of mass formation continue to speak out, they usually won't succeed in waking up the masses, because that's close to impossible. But their voice will make sure that the mass formation doesn't go so deep that the masses become convinced that the masses and their leaders become convinced that they should destroy everyone who doesn't go along with them. That's what we should be aware of. We should realize that when we speak out, we might not succeed in convincing the people in the masses. But that doesn't mean that our voice doesn't have an effect. It has an effect, an extremely important effect, because it constantly um, disturbs the mass formation. And um, that's why as soon as we start to understand that, we understand that what we have to do is to continue to speak out in a calm and quiet way, just showing people that, okay, you have your opinion, you believe that uh, without your three vaccines, You would would have been even more sick than you are now already. But I think in a different way. And I will just articulate that opinion. And then you can do with it what you want. You can believe it or not. But I will just live up to my ethical duty to articulate my own honest and sincere opinion. Not because I'm sure that I'm the only one who knows the truth. But just because I think that it is my ethical duty to say what I think is right sincere and honest and that's definitely the most productive the most efficient and the most fruitful way to speak out and so that that, that's the first and most important thing you can do because history has shown us what happens if the dissonant voice stops to speak out all the major examples of totalitarianism and mass formation has shown us that it is exactly at that moment that the destruction the destruction program start that happened in 1930 in nazi in, uh, the soviet union and around 1935 in, in nazi germany the dissident voices the resistance went underground stopped to speak out in public space and within a period of about six months the destruction program started in these countries this shows us something extremely important and it is that both the masses and their public leaders, and talking about their public leaders, become radically hypnotic and hypnotized as soon as dissonant voice stops to speak out.
2: I think it's really key that you mentioned the the way that we speak out, that it's level and calm and that you're just saying it's our duty. Uh, I find it to be, in a battle, I think of it as a spiritual battle—not so much between good and evil, but more about conscious and non unconscious. And um, you know, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm I'm hearing you and I'm wondering, like, in terms of speaking out, what counterpoint of consciousness is there to this mass formation? Is it? is there an octave of compassion and where we are inclusive how, how do you understand this i mean like mass formation is a type of uh conscious a uh, group think if you will so what is the counterpoint of that that core energy that we hold in our awareness when we speak out
3: yeah that's a good question i believe that we have to speak out both for ourselves, because um, because he might be destroyed if we, don't, if we don't speak out, but also uh, for the other people um, because uh, we know they do not realize, but we know that if the mass formation continues, it will eventually also destroy the people who go along with it. That's why Hannah Arendt said that uh, the masses in the end always become a monster that devours its its own children what happened in in the soviet union illustrated this in a perfect way so we have to speak out um in a mindset that or or realizing that we do it on the one hand for ourselves but also for the other people and at the same time when we speak out we also have like a specific effect we 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 you know from the beginning of the crisis, I decided to speak out. I, I, I knew uh, that the statistics were wrong. I, 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 I noticed immediately that the statistics overestimated the dangerousness of the virus. And by the end of May 2020, that was proven beyond doubt for me uh, that the mathematical models, the initial mathematical models, dramatically over, overrated the dangerousness of the virus. And I decided from the beginning to start to speak out. And I noticed that through speaking out i went in a very fast way through a a process of evolution as a human being i noticed that um i felt like that i that there was this quiet soft power that became increasingly strong uh uh uh, as i was speaking out and I, i i i think that's typical, if, if, you, if you continue to speak out when it might become dangerous or, or, when, or when the group uh, becomes angry with you, if you continue to speak out and you, 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 you remain calm yourself and you, you do not react in a destructive way or in a, in, a, in a hateful way towards the people who blame you or who smear your, rep, your, your reputation, for instance, then I believe that that in itself, this act of speaking out, and articulating what you believe is your most honest and sincere opinion, um, that that is what makes us exist as a human being. Um, that that is exactly uh, what humanizes us. What 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 makes us stronger and stronger in our human existence. That was also that was also described in a wonderful way by Solzhenitsyn. I don't know if you if you know Solzhenitsyn he is this a uh, this this a this, uh, russian author who uh um was confined in the gulags for 15 years i think under stalin and who wrote this this book uh, the gulag archipelago which won him the Nobel prize uh, and which is a, is a wonderful book both in both in, in uh, at the level of style and content and he described how um in the in the gulags and in, in the in the communist concentration camps most people started to behave in a beast like manner. Uh, they forgot all the all the principles of humanity. They literally crushed each each other's skulls during the night to steal each other's food and clothes they became They became even worse for each other than the guards were for them the, uh, and, and, um, and he, but but Solzhenitsyn describes how there was also a small group who went in exactly the opposite direction. Who preferred, in this pool of darkness, to stick, to stay loyal to the to the, to the principles of humanity, to stay loyal to certain ethical principles, and uh, Solzhenitsyn describes how um, certain of these people, um, while most people uh, died within a period of one week or a few months in the Gulags, just because they had almost no clothes and they had to work outside in extremely cold temperatures. They died usually in a few weeks or a few months. But some people, he said, who who, who stayed loyal to their ethical principles became stronger and stronger and stronger, also physically. And Solzhenitsyn says that he became aware of the fact of, of, of how crucial ethical principles are for a human being. At this moment now, we believe, or most people believe that society should be organized on the basis of rational knowledge that's what we started to believe um, uh, in the tradition of enlightenment throughout the last few hundred years that rational knowledge knowledge should be uh, the, 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 what organizes society. But I believe that that is nonsense what we sh- the guiding Principles of uh, our human existence and of society should be ethical principles the, of humanity. And nobody knows exactly what these principles are. We have to reinvent them, these principles, time and time again. We have to re-articulate them time and time again. And that's what we might discover now in these difficult times there might also be a small group who who prefers to stay loyal to ethical principles, who tries to rediscover the ethical principles while the rest of the world dehumanizes and throws all the ethical principles overboard. But I believe that this small group will also experience what an incredible strength uh, ethical principles can bring if you stay loyal to them and if you are prepared to lose a lot to stay loyal to them. I think that's the next stage of our culture and our society. For the last few hundred years, we have been believing that rational knowledge is the guiding, is the most important thing to organize a society. You might now discover that if we uh, prefer rational knowledge above ethical principles, that in the end we all become radically irrational and that in the end, we destroy ourselves, and we destroy all humanity in a, in a, in a society. That's what, we cannot be sure what, 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 what exactly will happen in the next years, and the years to come. We can never be sure of that. But we can be sure that we will do our utmost best to stay loyal to principles, ethical principles, and to represent um, humanity in a, in a dehumanizing world.
2: You uh really are touching the razor's edge there I mean this is the uh, the next octave I was thinking of and and I really loved when you spoke about this soft space, this quiet power came from your conviction to speak out and what i'm when I say the razor's edge, I mean there are many in the movement of the pandemic, making, exposing the cabal and so on who are, I'm witnessing are actually using some of the same kind of energy that would, that would be mass formation in, in that they're making those bad guys over there. They're all bad. And I, you know, I keep looking to where, okay, so we need to, We need to confront this. We need to be present with it. We need to stand for our own personal truth. And at the same time, we need to not lose our humanity, as you were saying. We need to not just do what they're doing, the same kind of energy, only, you know, like the pendulum swinging back and forth. You know, it's to find this place that's beyond the pendulum swinging and uh, you really have touched on that I appreciate that thank you
3: you're welcome you know um, the strange thing also is that we believe that this idea that rational understanding is more important than ethical principles we believe that this is actually like a scientific point of view but the strange thing is that all major scientists concluded in the opposite direction that's what i describe in the third part of my book uh, the psychology of totalitarianism that the strange thing is that all major scientists whether we are talking about uh, janos Bolyai, max planck heisenberg schrodinger um, uh niels bohr uh edward lawrence all all major scientists concluded that in the end um that's part of reality that can be understood in a rational way is extremely limited and that in the end ethical principles are far more important than rational understanding someone like René Tom one of the most famous mathematicians of the 20th century and one of the founders of systems theory uh, uh, described it in this way he said um, um, this part of reality that can be understood in a rational way is, is extremely limited and the rest of reality we can only know by empathically resonating with it and it is exactly this empathical resonance with everything around us that brings us in touch with the eternal principles the eternal principles of life the eternal ethical principles of humanity and so we are on the verge of making the switch as a society from a society that is centered on rational understanding to a society that is centered on resonating knowledge and on ethical principles
2: beautiful beautiful um, i'd like to uh play a little clip here that demonstrates what <laughs> It speaks for itself. It's called Waiting for the Barbarians, and it's by Cavafy. It's a little two-minute clip, and I think it really beautifully demonstrates the, the mindlessness of the mass
7: formation.
2: Now, Keith, will you play that, please?
7: Waiting for the Barbarians by C.P. Gavafi. What are we waiting for, assembled in the forum? The Barbarians are due here today. Why isn't anything going on in the Senate? Why are the senators sitting there without legislating? Because the barbarians are coming today. What's the point of senators making laws now? Once the barbarians are here, they'll do the legislating. Why did our emperor get up so early? And why is he sitting enthroned at the city's main gate in state wearing the crown? Because the barbarians are coming today and the emperor's waiting to receive their leader. He's even got a scroll to give him, loaded with titles, with imposing names. Why have our two consuls and praetors come out today, wearing their embroidered, their scarlet togas? Why have they put on bracelets with so many amethysts, rings sparkling with magnificent emeralds? Why are they carrying elegant canes, beautifully worked in silver and gold? Because the barbarians are coming today, and things like that dazzle the barbarians. But why don't our distinguished orators turn up as usual to make their speeches, say what they have to say? Because the barbarians are coming today, and they're bored by rhetoric and public speaking. Why this sudden bewilderment, this confusion? How serious people's faces have become. Why are the streets and squares emptying so rapidly, everyone going home lost in thought? Because night has fallen, And the barbarians haven't come. And some of our men who have just returned from the border say there are no barbarians any longer. Now what's going to happen to us without barbarians? Those people were a kind of solution.
2: There you have it. (laughs) Are we waiting for the barbarians?
3: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's a wonderful (laughs) trip. Yeah.
2: I'll send it to you. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, so, so you've taken us past the waiting for the barbarians into a new state of consciousness and I know that Timothy wants to ask a lot of questions about that, I'm sure, but we still have a little time if you want to expand on where you were going, it was like you were taking me up another octave and another octave, and I loved it. Because, you know, that's that's really why I personally do this show, is to see how it can offer to our audience what we can tangibly do, be, uh, expand into our, it is It is a technological, we are on, you know, on the internet here, we are speaking through the airwaves, but there is still that yearning for something greater than what we have experienced. And I, I do feel that we're on that cusp, that there's something magnificent coming up. And uh, you were so eloquently touching on that. Thank you. Thank you um, you you mentioned that in your book you were uh exploring that idea if you want to say a little more on it or or if you want to go in another direction, it's great whatever you like
3: oh, yes yes okay yes well yes. Um, um yes in my book i I try to show that the 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 root cause of totalitarianism and of the 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 crisis we are we find ourselves in now that the root cause is actually this idea that the entire universe is a kind of material materialist uh, uh, kind of material machine a set of elementary particles uh, atoms molecules who all interact with each other uh, according to the laws of mechanics and uh and who and and which can be understood in a strictly rational way i think that's in the end uh, the root cause of the problems we are facing now um this 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 delusional belief in the power of the of the human mind i think it's important to be rational and the process we went through the last few hundred years the process of the rationalization of the world the entire scientific project was extremely important but the most important thing is that this, 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 the sciences showed us that there is a limit to rational understanding and that rational understanding can never grasp the essence of our existence and consequently should never be um, uh, the ultimate basis uh, for organizing uh, our human living together. Um, that's what I try to explain throughout my book. I show how it was this mechanistic view on man and the world. Uh, that led to the isolation, to the disconnection of people with their environment, which in its turn led to the mass formation, which in its turn leads to, the, to totalitarianism, first to the fascist totalitarianism of the first half of the 20th century, and now to the technocratic totalitarianism, the transhumanist totalitarianism that we witness today. So I, I'm, I'm confident that this is the last stage of that process, that with a transhumanist technocratic totalitarianism, we are witnessing the very last stage of uh, the delusional belief that human rationality can be the guiding principle of life. And after that, it's time for something new.
2: Perfect place for a break. That's really something. Something new on the horizon. You're listening to the other side of the news. Our guest tonight is world-renowned Matthias Desmet, and he is the author of, um, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> my brain fog, um,
3: The psychology, psychology of,
2: yes, go ahead.
3: Psychology of proprietarianism, yes
2: yeah thank you psychology of totalitarianism and uh we will return after the break thank you
4: as
8: you continue to work on yourself the tribe comes forward they'll come right to your door So just keep doing the work and it'll come together. Yep, as you increase your frequency, then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities and your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it. And so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, Renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres and we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into. And this is what's happening now. This is where we're headed, into a really beautiful place. So we can rejoice in that, despite the fear, despite what it looks like on the outside. This is how disease transforms. The mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you, so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's? there to even be changed or if you ignore it, right, then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us, accept our mess and now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer and I was on the other side of the news and I really enjoyed my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and and what we're heading towards. I really recommend listening in and and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important and these are the times to do it. And we're being asked to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and, uh, Think beyond beyond
0: the box. Welcome back. We're listening to The Other Side of the News. This edition is called Crisis Agenda, and we're delighted to have Matthias Desmond with us. I'm Timothy Saunders, co hosting with Annette Driscoll and Kim Dia. Matthias, before the break, you and Kim were just talking about um, an interesting point about uh, which way uh, society, which way humanity is going, and, and that really is, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you. I mean, there's so many commentators out there at the moment, uh, so many authors of seemingly authors of future agendas, you know, dystopian or utopian. Uh, whichever way you look at it. But uh, let's face it, there have been quite a lot of dystopian agendas uh, coming to the surface in recent times. I mean, are we going in the direction of uh, Yuval Noah Harari? Um, Are we going to go in the direction of uh, creating a new renaissance? So I think the bottom line, what I'm asking you is the coronavirus, I I do think it will go down in history as one of the biggest overrated or, or overreaction in, in history uh, to something which was um, manipulated on every level, perhaps even uh, preordained way before it's, it's, uh, it's released or it, it's um, released through society in different countries in lockstep. Um, are we globally, are we a stronger or a weaker humanity in this time as a result of the coronavirus? Oh well.
3: I think um uh you know let me first go into this 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 question whether or not the future will be transhumanist such a, in a in, in a way such as uh, Yuval uh, Noah Harari uh, describes. Uh well, I believe that there are there are there are many people out there who um who believe that uh The future should be transhumanist, and that uh, it is the destiny of man uh, to become God, uh, as Harari um, uh, describes it, uh, through merging with all kinds of technological devices. Um, So I think that's what some people will try to um, realize now. They will try to reshape society in a transhumanist society, at least that's what uh, Harari believes, and that's what uh, certain um, people believe with him, together with him. But in my opinion, uh, this will fail. It will radically fail.
0: Um, um, I, was, I was going to ask you because I could explain. I could explain that. I could explain why I, would, I think it will fail. That would be wonderful because I was just going to make a comment that you've know, you, you set up very logically. I mean, you uh, your your theory, which you've now put into into practice in this this new book. When I first heard it, yeah, um, which was I guess what it, I, I guess was would have probably about a year ago. I think I, I became aware of your slightly more of your your um, your views and the the way that you were sharing them. Um, yeah, globally, the way you are being censored, which of course is a good telltale to know that you're probably close to the target but your, your views made suddenly perfect sense. It was like a, a breath of fresh air in a, in a, in a sea of, uh, um, well, words I, I'm not going to use right now, but, um, having, having pinpointed the, the causes, the four causes and, and the route through, can you plot a graph of how this, this monster cycle, um, will, Grow and then collapse or will it grow and grow and and, and increase in in, in intensity or is is there a cycle? Is there a pattern to these mass formations through history? Yes.
3: The only thing uh, everyone who has studied the masses and the crowds agrees upon is that in the end they always destroy themselves. Uh, So that's something very good to know because as soon as you understand that you realize that we don't have to uh destroy the masses or totalitarianism we even don't really have to fight it (laughs) the only thing the only thing we have to make we have to make we have to do is to make sure that um it doesn't destroy us uh, before it exhausts and destroys itself um and that and, and, and and we typically can do so Uh, By continuing to speak out, that's the first and most important thing, to continue to speak out because in that way you prevent that the hypnosis becomes so deep uh, that uh, the masses start to to destroy everyone who doesn't go along with them. So that's uh, that's, uh, the most elementary, the most basic principle we have to live up to uh, in the future. Um, So ultimately it destroys itself. That's the one and only cynical advantage of mass formation and, and totalitarianism. And now, here in this case, um, uh, we are indeed dealing with a transhumanist uh, ideology, which um, uh, forces itself to the fore and which tries to impose itself to, to, uh, to society, or a technocratic or a transhumanist ideology, it depends. We see, every, we, we see how worldwide uh, technological control systems uh, are established and, uh, and uh, imposed to, to society you see the emergence of smart cities in europe so called smart cities, cities that are strictly technologically controlled or, controlled or smart beaches in australia or um well all all kinds of stuff like that um so the basic idea but the transhumanism is the most extreme consequence or the most extreme example of so-called mechanist thinking mechanist of the mechanist view on man and the world a view on man and the world which believes that essentially the universe is a material machine as i mentioned already uh, before uh is a material is a, is a material machine uh, which can be strictly rationally and mechanistically or technologically controlled manipulated um and and that that belief actually uh is something that uh, science already proved to be wrong science showed already in a very very convincing way that nature and the universe is a complex dynamical system which in the end uh, does not behave rationally and can never be controlled rationally to the contrary which always uh, uh, which can only um, be known in a more resonating way and which even then uh, escapes every human understanding and as soon as, the, the more you understand and the better you understand that r- rational um, understanding is, is is limited, and uh, the, the better you understand, one, that every system that is based on rational understanding eventually, and probably uh, quite soon in this case, will collapse and that it will fail. And I think that contemporary authoritarianism might collapse much faster than totalitarianism uh, as it existed in the first half of the 20th century so that's one thing that is very important you have to be confident this delusional rationalist uh, system um, trying to control everything in life will fail and it will destroy itself and that's one thing and the and and the the second thing is that uh, we shouldn't fight it we should let it destroy itself or we should let it you know, kill itself and we should focus on something else because what is what we should do or what everybody should try to do is to become more aware of the limits of our rational understanding also we constantly try to control our lives try to control the difficult situation we find ourselves in. In a rational way. We try to predict what will happen. We try to logically understand. That's a good thing. But we should be aware that it's not a car. That in the end, it's exactly this rational, logical understanding. This desperate attempt to understand everything in a logical and rational way. That is the problem. Because when you when you try to logically understand, you really... You connect the one logical idea to the other and you try to establish a closed logical system. And it is exactly that chain of logical ideas that is actually through which you are building a wall around you, a wall that disconnects you from the real, from the real and, and from the real knowledge outside of you. I experienced in my own life very concretely. How it was exactly at the moment that I started to be aware of the fact that the rational understanding is very limited, and it, that, that I was 35 years old before I really started to know and understand that reality and the real outside of us is not rational. It was systems theory, complex dynamical systems theory, which finally made me really understand. That what we call the facts, what we call the real, is not logical. It doesn't behave in a logical way. And that was exactly the reason why all the major scientists, in the end, concluded that rational understanding was only of secondary importance. It is important. And we should try to rationally understand time and time again. But in the end, we should be honest enough to see and to admit that we arrive at the border where rational understanding stumbles upon its limit and that there we can only we, we have to move on to a different way of knowing the world that's something that you can see in every uh, every time someone learns a certain craft or a certain art there is first a rational phase in which he, he learns the rules of the art in which he learns for instance how the techniques to, the, the principles the, the technique as a rational part but mm. then then he sh- then in mastering after a certain period in which you master the techniques and the rational part you start to be in touch you start to have a certain to develop a certain feeling with uh the craft
0: you're practicing or the art you're learning for example and like a sculptor taking a piece of rock yes, like imagining sculpture. the yes. statue that comes out of it and then working it through and we that in japan
3: they have this wonderful expression saying that you should protect the rules of an art for a long time and eventually break them and that's that that's the moment that you break the rules that you learned that you uh can leave the techniques you learned behind it is it's, it's at that moment that you that you become a master in the art the samurai said that if you go to the battlefield And you think about technique, you will die. But first, they said, you have to learn the technique, and then the more difficult part comes. You have to forget the technique again. And at that moment, you become a master, and you won't die anymore on the battlefield. And it is this transcendental knowledge, this knowledge that uh, is more than rational knowledge, that offers... the most amazing perspective to the human being. That's what we should go for now. It's what the ancient Greeks called the techni, a kind of knowledge that is more than a rational technical knowledge, and of which, which is also referring to the, to the sixth sense. For the samurai, it is at that moment, if you can cultivate this kind of knowledge to a high extent, You start to develop a sex sense. You start start to become aware of things that you can never be aware of as soon as you uh, uh, cling to logical understanding too much. I experienced that really in my own life, how at the moment you become aware that there is something more than logical understanding, that the most important thing can never be logically understood. At that moment, almost literally, your mind opens up. It is as if the logical, there becomes a certain space between the logical ideas and all the, the eternal music of life, the, the vibration of life around you can enter your mind, can enter your being and this, the strings inside of yourself can start to resonate with the eternal music outside of you. I, I describe in my book how almost literally the human being is a string instrument. The muscles on a skeleton are a kind of strings that are sensitive to certain specific frequencies outside of you. Exactly. But, but in order to resonate with the things around you, you must be able to open up. You must be able to stop your logical thinking for a moment and to become aware of the fact that the mystery of life will never, you, that you will never be capable of reducing the mystery of life around you to the categories of your
0: own poor, rational understanding. It seems that the, the usual suspects, that is the, uh, what should we say, the Gates, the Musks, the, uh, the Klaus Schwabs, the um, United Nations, the uh, WHO, and I can go on the whole long list here, but um, it seems that the narratives in which they are aligning with, whether they are even marked on the good side or the bad side, in my, in my opinion, still in lockstep, Um, are taking us in a direction where the, if you use the same analogy or a similar analogy, that humanity is like a string, a human being is like a string instrument. But I also think that if you look at, for example, science alone or statistics alone or a lot of the technology that's available to people, people see that as everything where in fact it's incredibly limiting. and In fact, it's just um, quite an impressive, but still a very basic emulation, uh, primitive emulation of what the human body, the human mind, the human heart is. So, mm-hmm. while again, is this sort of cognitive distance? distance excuse me, distance um, between the illusion of advancement, while at the same time being cut off and uh, disconnecting from. Yeah, I, I would say something along the lines of universal universal consciousness.
3: Uh, yes, you know the Gates and the Musk's and the other people you, um, you 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 mentioned. I believe they are only the most pure examples, the most pure um, uh, representatives of of mechanistic thinking, of 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 this delusional belief and in in, in 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 rational understanding. Um, But the problem is in every one of us, I think. Uh, Solzhenitsyn uh, articulated that in a very beautiful way. He said, the line dividing good and evil uh, runs through every human being's heart. And indeed, uh, we should uh, be aware of um, uh, evil outside of us, and also, but then realize that first and for all, we have to... Uh, try to get rid of it ourselves. And if we do so, we will uh, arrive at a true state of enlightenment step by step. And also, that will be sufficient if some people, some of us, uh, stay loyal uh, to, uh, to a, um, a much more enlightened way of knowing the world and of knowing the reality of knowing nature of knowing the real then that will be sufficient to make sure that this entire transhumanist ideology uh will fail
0: it will fa- it will definitely fail but i, I think we, we can to... see it failing like right yes. like now because why else would the the narrative have to jump topics so frequently i mean for example we have the, the coronavirus and we have the different uh stages of, of um separation, social distancing, the masking, the, the, the vaccines, the second vaccine, the third vaccine, the fourth yes. vaccine, and then the sickness which mysteriously comes to all these football soccer sports players, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But now the doctors are even inventing new conditions. Um yes. what what is it, FADS, um in- severe adult, um, I forget the exact uh, analogy, but basically... Deficiency, deficiency syndrome or something.
7: Yeah, yes. it,
0: it, it's a new medical term that describes people that drop dead suddenly without any prior reason, apart from the fact they may well have had a vaccine. Um, in my opinion, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, but we see that the, you know, the corona uh, was obviously that narrative, that, that chapter of the book was, was running out of interest. So then that converted to what I call the Ukrainian. Uh, variant mm. and you know if that <laughs> yeah. that is not going the way in which it was uh you know set out initially and in, in, if, if people watch mass media um and and now we have the monkeypox maybe that's a, a seed the plant for later in the year for us in the norman northern hemisphere mm. or you know maybe it's just a way of um explaining in the future how you know things like um Smallpox and shingles, uh, perhaps even AIDS, is more prolific now in the world than it was as a result of these uh, these disgusting injections that people have been made to made to have. I, I think there are an awful lot of things coming out, and it's very difficult to know which new topic or which new chapter is something which is actually just uh, a distraction, um, mm-hmm. and which ones are actually planting seeds for future harvesting for. Um, those who wish to control the narrative mm. so who who do you think is behind this do you think there's an individual or do you think it is it is a group or do you think it's just a,
3: a, a it's both it's both um, it's uh, you know the, the the ultimate cause is always the ideology itself It's the ideology that uh, organizes uh, it's a certain way of thinking a certain ideology which uh, organizes the masses and which also organizes the elite uh, a, a set of institutions and and persons who who represent this ideology or this way of thinking uh, we've seen how throughout the last centuries how on the one hand um, the masses became in a typical state uh, the society uh, the the, 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 con- the preconditions for mass formation uh, became more and more fulfilled throughout the last few centuries as a consequence of of um uh, just uh, the um uh, this ideology this way of thinking this mechanistic way of thinking and at the same time we've also seen how a certain elite emerged an elite that was convinced that uh, the masses should be manipulated and controlled if you if you read certain all authors such as um, edward Bernays or Lippmann or trotter they all are convinced like we have to manipulate the masses uh, otherwise uh, they will uh, they will control us they will destroy us so we've seen on the one hand the emergence of the masses themselves and of the elite that manipulates the masses and of a kind of a complex sophisticated machinery uh, uh, technological machinery to manipulate the masses. This is both or true uh, is there someone ultimately behind all this well I think the ultimate cause is always the ideology our enemy is never another human being our enemy is a way of thinking it's an ideology and this ideology is really represented by certain people and these people in this respect are dangerous that's true but they are also the slaves the slaves of their ideology so we should always uh, keep the right focus and uh, and 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 know that in the end uh, every human being is a human being and and we should never Reduce a human being to merely being our enemy. It's just a human being that is in the grip of a, of a, um, a fanatic and destructive uh, way of thinking. Um, and the good thing is, the positive thing definitely is always that uh, uh, in the end, we will see how this uh, false ideology inevitably fails. And it will probably uh, rather happen sooner than later Uh uh this failure of this of this of this rationalist mechanist ideology and as i said before then you're ready
0: for something really new that's fantastic so um one of the things that i think is very so important is is also to filter out this information filter out uh, information which is obviously trying trying to be used to programmers and um, so i'm very mindful of where I I gain information I mean, for example, I I, I will never have the television on 24 seven or just randomly in the background television is something which is for me, it's like a nostalgic idea. I I just don't do television. I haven't done it for more than a decade. Um, if, if there's news, yes, of course I consult the news, but I I can stop the news usually on the internet because I have the choice to read it or or not read it as opposed to it just becoming threading through my ears. Do you have any any advice to our listeners on how to filter out uh disinformation to de- how to discern real information don't
3: think too rationally it's our it's our rational mind that, mis- that misleads us and that makes us betrayable and sensitive to misinformation people always think that um, you need to uh, think rational to find the truth but i don't think that's uh that's true If you the, the better and the more you stay loyal to your to ethical principles and to the principles of humanity, the clearer you will start to see what uh, is true and what is false our capacity to distinguish truth, true and false things uh, is not um, a product of our rational mind it's just a product of our sincerity and our honesty as a human being if we are willing to lose certain things in order to stay loyal to we automatically will become capable of distinguishing uh uh, truth from lies and falsehood from 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 true things
0: matthias would would you like to make sure that people know how to contact you how to find you on the internet and where to uh take a look and perhaps potentially buy your books um how do you mean can you come again your your book is just on release i believe so how can people gain a copy oh
3: yes yes uh, I, I, they can pre-order the book um yeah um i'm afraid that most people pre-order the book through amazon <laughs> that's, one, that's one way um to, to to pre-order it there are other options as well i think you can Visit the website of Chelsea Green, my publisher. Um, the book will be available uh, from next week on in the UK and uh, from w- within two weeks, I think, in, a, in a, the USA. Um, yes, I'm, I'm sure. If you if you Google the title of the book, "The Psychology of Um you will easily find it it's a uh, number one book now on amazon i'm i think uh, in, in the category uh, privacy and um, and surveillance so you will easily find it i think uh on on, on the well, other I,
0: I believe it should become essential reading um i'm certainly looking forward to read it myself so i'd like to thank you for this uh very unusual conversation for both of us because we started the show in the middle of the night and I have a definite uh, dawn situation here now and it must be similar for you over there in Belgium. It is. Yes, so thanks very much for making it happen. It's been a great pleasure and uh, I think it's time to close the show because we've, we've hit the end of the runway. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for all the listeners to listen and to open up to uh,
3: other ideas than
0: the, than, uh, than the mainstream excellent so despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel there is an increasing number of respected journalists writers politicians doctors lawyers influencers, artists activists healers and innovators who are wide awake and are already making great impact all the require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda to make your own independent research to stop acquiescing and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others Remember, you are born with power and you wake up each day with power. It's entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give it away. you have been listening to another live broadcast of The Other Side of the News. This 102nd edition is entitled Crisis Agenda and remains available at www.theothersideofthenews.com. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with Kintia and Anessa Jusko, I offer special thanks to our guest, Dr. Matthias Desmet, our listeners, contributors, and our sound engineer, Keith Morgan. We wish you all a very positive week and look forward to reconnecting with you next Friday. Good night.